Welcome to Guilty as Charged, the law behind the crimes, a podcast all about criminal law and policy specific to Arizona. You are listening to Arizona Supreme Court Oral Argument brought to you by Guilty as Charged. This is our case number CR 210239, State versus Moninger. This is the time set for oral argument. Counsel, are you ready to proceed? Yes. Please proceed. May it please the court. My name is Casey Ball, Assistant Attorney General here on behalf of the state of Arizona. This court should reverse the Court of Appeals decision and reinstate Moninger's convictions and sentences. Both issues before the court today can be resolved on the plain language of the statutes. For the first issue, the luring statute sets the unit of the prosecution as each offer or solicitation for sexual conduct. Let me stop you right there. My law clerk, who is much better at math than I, uh, counted roughly 100 individual text messages that, uh, by your definition, would qualify as solicitations. That's a thousand years. Any constitutional problems with that? No, Your Honor. It's very much like State v. Burger, where in the child pornography uh, counts, you could download a thousand images and be liable for each one, even if it's the same image a thousand times. There's no constitutional impediment because we don't aggregate the sentences. We, we look at them with each individual and say, is it proportional based on the single offense? But isn't that different when you're talking about a separate item? like a, a separate picture of child pornography versus uh, soliciting or offering the same conduct? No, Your Honor, it's, it's very similar. Um, the reason why is because it's a voluntary act by the defendant each time. This is, it's different than, for example, Jordan, where the court was concerned about a large sentence based on the number of officers responding to the scene. The defendant in that case didn't have any control over how many officers are responding to the scene. Here, Moninger has absolute control over the number of times he solicits sex with Sabrina. He can stop at any point he wants to, but he continues to solicit and continues to send those messages. So to pick up on Justice Bullock's question and and his law clerk's math, (laughs) uh, so in in a particular case, if the person said, will you have sex with me? That's certainly to a child um, offering. um, Answer, no. Please, please, please. Is that four counts? Yes. Well, hold on, counsel. Let me, let me help you out there for a second. Uh, that pleases an entreaty. It's not necessarily an offer. And we need to be very careful about the specifics here. Because if a defendant were to communicate with a minor in one text message, let's get together this Saturday to engage in Act A and Act B. Would you agree with me that that's one offer for two acts? No, I would not. The reason why is an offer is to present something for acceptance, solicit is to ask for something. So, the, the, and to go back to the please, please would be the solicit, not the offer. But the, but the please what? Because, you know, we, we've got the, the statute, and you want us to look at the plain language, is soliciting sexual conduct. Right. Okay. So, Soliciting sexual conduct, then there are a number of different acts that constitute sexual conduct. Yes. So in a single message to please, please says nothing. Please do this for me would be a solicitation, but for me could be do 
A and B for me, would you agree that that is a single solicitation? No. And, and to push back on the pleas without a sex act uh, attached to it, State and Egan, a court of appeals case, talks about how these are not always going to be full-throated um, solicitations where everything's nice and bundled in one message where he says, I know you're 13 and this is wrong, but please have sex with me. That was the only message that would be really easy to prosecute. But oftentimes we have to look at context. So in the hypothetical, will you have sex with me? No, please, please, please. You can look back to the context of what is being said in the conversation as a whole. But each one of those is a separate request for that particular act. You wouldn't look at that then as the please let's have sex with me, please, 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 as a grouped solicitation. You would actually divvy that up into four different solicitations. Yes, each one is a voluntary solicitation for sexual conduct. Now, and and I think this is, uh, you know, when we're teasing the the far end of of where the prosecution is, we're talking about the allowable unit of prosecution, not what the prosecutor is always going to charge it as. No, but we're we're going to be providing guidance to prosecutors with this ruling. Correct. But what we're what we're addressing is what is allowed, not what is always going to happen. A prosecutor could charge it that way, but they can exercise discretion to do so. When I look through the messages, uh, I was doing the math too. There are times where there are really explicit solicitations. This is really clear in the language, and there's other times where you get a group of messages together that you think you know what he's talking about. Kisses all over your body, type stuff. It it becomes clear after several messages that he's talking about some oral sex, but it doesn't necessarily come across crystal clear. And if I was a prosecutor charging, I might think, well, we've got some that aren't very clear and I'm going to have to argue this to the jury and argue context and use your common sense. Or I've got one where he says, I will let you touch my penis and you can get used to it. Like that's a really obvious request for sexual conduct or I want to make love with you. Sex is best when we're in love. Those are really obvious requests. So the prosecutor is going to be able to exercise their discretion and say, you know what, I'm going to charge the ones that are obvious, that are easy to argue. But the allowable unit of prosecution, based on the plain language of the statute, is each time a person offers or solicits sexual conduct. As this court stated in Majak v. Granville, once the offer of solicitation is made, the act is complete, the offense is complete. The majority tried to create a carve-out situation where if you're asking for the same conduct repeatedly, it somehow evolves into almost a continuous, pseudo-continuous offense, where although the first statement, will you have sex to me or have sex with me, could be a complete offense, and the majority recognizes that could be solicit or luring. That, that's one solicitation, it could be luring. But if he keeps asking the same thing, suddenly it, it reopens and becomes one long offense. And logically, that just doesn't make sense. I, I'm not sure that that's true. Take attempted murder. You uh the assailant stabs someone. The crime is complete so long as the other elements are are present, then proceeds to do it nine more times. You could present all of those uh, ten things and say it is is one attempted murder, right? Even though it was complete, the crime was complete after the very first stab. And the difference there is that we're looking at an in-quote offensive attempt versus a complete offensive luring. And this is another area where the majority makes a misstep and tries to map the inchoate offense of solicitation onto the completed offense of luring. If the legislature wanted to just prevent sexual conduct with minor via punishing solicitations, it could have just left the inchoate offense of solicitation and the complete offense of sexual conduct with a minor and charged it that way as an inchoate offense. Instead, it said, no, this is a more serious crime. This isn't a harm 
that occurs from just the act of soliciting or offering. And we're going to punish it more harshly than a inchoate offense of solicitation. So that I would encourage the court to step aside from the, the inchoate offenses like it did in Majak and say, no, these are two different offenses. In Majak, this court explicitly rejected the idea that, that luring was an inchoate offense. Can I take you to the, it, when we try to obviously interpret a statute, we're looking at sometimes at other statutes that are related to it. And one here is 133560, when it's aggravated luring. Yes. And that's when you send a, you commit that by you're also, you're, you're soliciting uh, luring, but you're also sending an item designed to, to that actually serves as that. I, I imagine like pictures and yes. that kind of thing, those kind of items. And so that's even worse. So that's aggravated luring. But in saying that, in uh, subsection A2, it says that uh, the offer or solicitation may occur before, contemporaneously with, uh, or after, as an integrated part of the transmission of the visual depiction. To me, that seemed to indicate that maybe they are looking at a course of conduct, at least that was supportive of that type of thing, because it is still one offense but and acknowledging that the depiction itself is a solicitation, and so as they say, the offer or solicitation. So uh, it, it's a little bit of a confusing fashion in my mind, but can you address that? Yes, uh, two points on that. The first is because it has that additional element of transferring a visual depiction that's harmful to minors. There's a, another act that the defendant has to do besides just offering or soliciting. The unit prosecution is still offering or soliciting, but with an additional element of sending the offense. I read that language of contemporaneously with, before, after, was an in integrated part as providing context to, you know, it doesn't have to be uh, image with the text scrawled on it in order to constitute aggravated learning. There are going to be times in, in these messages where if the defendant sends the sentence, will you have sex with me, but he breaks it up word by word and just says, will you have sex with me? That's one solicitation. It's, it's not a message-based offense. This can happen in person. I could hand somebody a photo, uh, a, harmful image, uh, a harmful image to somebody and say, well, you have sex with me. That's going to be aggravated learning. It's not solely based on text messages. But the, the statute, here's what's a little bit confusing. Let's read it to you. It says, by means of the communication, offers or solicits sexual conduct with the minor. And then it goes on talking about the offer or solicitation may occur before, contemporaneously, or after. So the, the visual depiction itself, according to the statute, is an offer or solicitation. Otherwise, it wouldn't be part of it. So it seems to contemplate two separate acts, both of which are offer or solicitation. Is is that an inaccurate reading of A2? So no, but because it allows the image to have the offer or solicitation as an integrated part, that would be one act. If you sent an image that had the writing on it offering the solicitation, that would be a single act, punishable as aggravated learning. This reminds me a little bit of the uh, State of Rios case out of the Court of Appeals recently dealing with the harassment statute. And they actually discuss specifically a communication um, because the harassment statute uses that same language. And uh, basically the, the court of appeals reasoning says a person may certainly communicate with another in a conversation made up of a series of text messages, but a single text message by itself may convey a complete thought with harassing intent. Rios nonetheless would urge us to bind the state to pick some arbitrary time period within which to evaluate all the messages sent by the harasser as a group. And the court of disagrees with that and says, no, we don't need to read it so broadly. If the offense can happen in a single message, that's the allowable unit of prosecution. We're looking for the discrete charge that a state can bring. 
What's the, the unit of prosecution for aggravated luring in a situation in which on, on, on a Wednesday, a, a defendant solicited from a child or a minor, um, will you have sex with me? And two days later, here's a picture that I've drawn of what it will look like if you and I have sex. What's the unit of prosecution there for aggravated luring? The, and the image has a second. No, it doesn't have to say Okay. That's one one solicitation. It's one solicitation. So I'm having difficult. It sounds like that from the statute. Yes. So what I'm having difficulty with is in this case, you have the solicitation. I think it was indeed on a, on a Wednesday, the initial one. Yes. The answer is sure or yes, or at least some agreement. And then leading up to the planned date of the Friday that it's supposedly going to occur, you have more of this. This is going to be great. This is going to be wonderful. Is that itself a separate act then of offering at, or soliciting when it doesn't seem like the a picture would be? And can you reconcile that? Yes. So question. because um, let me back up. Yes, I can reconcile it too. Uh, each day, Moninger sent additional requests for sex. It wasn't just a continuous. His sex is going to be great on Friday. Uh, there were different acts that he was proposing. At one point, he suggested he could get his vasectomy reversed and get her pregnant down the road. But you only charged intercourse in the in the charging document, correct? Yes. Now, I want to clarify that a little because I think the majority made another misstep here. The indictment does say soliciting sexual intercourse. Sexual intercourse has a different definition under this statute than under just the common term of sexual intercourse, like vaginal penile. In under sexual conduct, sexual intercourse is one of the subsets, and it includes um, oral sexual conduct, um, and penile, vaginal, penile anal. So there are other acts that could be proposed. There are some that would not count, like when he uh, says she can touch his penis, like that would be sexual intercourse. Things will be better when we're in love. Yes. So, yeah, and that's, I think that's the 1200 to 1204 is probably the most explicit of the three where he says sex is, sex is doubly good and we're in love, we're in love, so it'll, it'll be doubly good. Like that's pretty obviously he's talking about having sex and, and soliciting. Going back to say Egan, though, it's not always going to be crystal clear uh, and the jury's going to have to use their, their common sense um, to decide whether this is a solicitation or an offer. But that goes to sufficiency of the evidence, not the unit of prosecution. Uh, here, Moninger defended based on entrapment. He admitted he sent all of the messages and that he intended to have uh, sexual conduct or was asking for sexual conduct with Sabrina. He could have argued, you know, some of these messages don't constitute an offer or a solicit. He didn't argue that. He argued entrapment instead. So whether a series of messages constitutes uh, a solicitation can always be argued as sufficiency of the evidence. But we're asking, what's the allowable unit of prosecution? What's the discrete charge? that the state can bring. Based on the plain text, it is the offer or solicit. And once that solicitation is made, according to saving for Jack B. Granville, the book's closed, the offense is complete. I do so wanna... the, the uh, state disaggregated the, uh, uh, the messages into three counts. Um, is that pure prosecutorial discretion? Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah, and that's Davey Cloak. The majority was a little worried about uh, uh, duplicity issues here. They dropped a footnote asking, you know, maybe this is a duplicity's charge issue. But because he argued entrapment, uh, duplicity's never been raised because it couldn't be. Davey Cloak solves that and says, although discrete acts, each constituting a separate offense, could be charged separately, the prosecutor has discretion to charge it as a whole. 
I do want to briefly touch on the probation issue and then try and reserve a, a minute or two for rebuttal. This, I, I feel, is a fairly clear-cut issue. The majority assumed the legislature made a mistake in drafting the statute and then effectively rewrote it to make first-degree ignoring probation eligible. We've got two subsections at issue here, E and H. E, if read only by itself, suggests that probation is available for luring offenses. It's now broken up between first and second degree luring offenses. But then we have subsection H, which specifically says all DCAC offenses, except for those in subsection F, must carry a prison term for the first degree offenses. You can read those two in harmony, and this court should read those in harmony and say subsection E allows probation for second degree luring offenses, but not first degree luring offenses. That's the easiest way to, to solve this. It's um, the appropriate uh, statutory interpretation. Uh, even if this court thought that the two were contradictory and couldn't be harmonized, subsection E starts by saying, except as otherwise provided in this section. So it is naturally subsumed under subsection H. Um, and unless this court has other questions, I'd like to reserve the rest for rebuttal. Very well. May it please the court. My name is Jill Evans, and I represent Harry Moniger. A five-day text message conversation starting on Monday and ending on Friday, soliciting the same event of sexual conduct with a minor, is one offense of luring because it's a continuous offense. What if she? What if the officer had said, posing as the child, no, on the first time that sex was solicited? Um, so it's not the same conduct. She said no, and then comes back the next day. What about? You know, let's let what about on Saturday? What about on Sunday? What about a different time Friday? Is that uh is that continuous? Uh it is continuous under the Blockburger test, which is looks at whether it, a different or distinct act would be based on whether there's a different victim and a different criminal impulse. So um a victim that a different victim is obvious, a different criminal impulse would be like um if the defendant complete or if the victim completely stopped communicating with the defendant. And then ended any kind of ongoing solicitation. And then there was a break and then started up again. So that would be like in kidnapping if you have a restraint and the victim is freed and then yet restrained again. That would be like successive um, uh, different distinct uh, offenses of a continuing offense followed by another continuing offense. So Blockburger, I, I think leaves the state with some flexibility to vary the unit uh, according to the nature of the crime. And here the nature of the crime uh, is, uh, is in part psychological. Um, how, do we, how do we account for that? And this goes to Vice Chief Justice Timmer's question to an extent uh, where uh, just the repeated um, constant admonitions, invitations, uh, may have distinct psychological effects. Is there any way that that uh, that that uh, transforms into multiple units of prosecution? No, because the whole purpose of the statute is to punish the targeting and soliciting of by the plain language of a child. So the whole uh, le- the, the meaning of the language that they use, luring, enticing, um, even grooming in another statute all refer to a process of persuading a child to have sex and with a, with an adult. So yes, there's a there could be harm in in the continued persuading, but that is the purpose of the statute. That's what it's getting at: is to 
prevent the luring targeting of children, whether or not there's actual an attempt or an actual um, event of sex that happens. Um, and that is the harm that, it, it, and it can't be the harm of an actual act with the child because the the um, the victim can be an officer. So it's not, uh, th that while that could be a harm and that may be a harm, then um, it's not the primary harm. Getting to your question, um, Justice Bullock, about uh, the absurdity, uh, apparent absurdity of a thousand year sentence for this. Compare that to a 20 year sentence for actually penetrating a child. Um, and that just is not uh, a result that was anticipated by the statute. It's Counsel, I want to ask you a question about that, though, because we're talking about two different types of acts. And even as the majority tried in, in the Court of Appeals below tried to draw that distinction, too. If Moninger had been communicating with a minor and had engaged in sexual conduct with her, that would have been another offense that could have run consecutive. So he would have been held accountable for all of his criminal conduct. However, if he only did one or the other, then he only would have been sentenced for his criminal conduct in committing one or the other act or acts. So isn't this a bit of a, of a false comparison? Because he didn't do one, he did the other. And if he'd done both, he would have been punished for both. Well, he was punished for attempted, actually, for show, actually showing up. He would have been, he, he had, yeah, so, so he was separately punished for the attempt. Um, Correct. So, because that was something separate. Yes, okay. absolutely. But in this case, though, um, these separate um, counts um, have to be supported by language of the statute. And the language in the statute, not only is it implicitly continuous language, there's absent any indication that there's a distinct act intended by the legislature. And you do find that in the child pornography statute. In that statute, it, it, it talks about any depiction. So that's why the, the uh, 100 years uh, is, has been um, basically approved, uh, approved of in State v. Berger when challenged for gross disproportionality under the Eighth Amendment. Can, can I ask you a, a question? Because you mentioned earlier about, you know, a, you know, continuing to ask for the same act. Would you agree that if there was a solicitation for a different act that constituted sexual conduct, that that would easily be a separate solicitation? No. And that's because um, this is a continuous offense. And when you have a continuous offense, it's a unitary offense. You don't have to prove the means and manner that the, the solicitation, which is ongoing, is is um, conducted. You just have to prove that there was an ongoing solicitation. But and in, in, with, with that, in speech, in but with speech that in that regard, though, and, and I want to want to ask about this distinction. You know, the state could say, look, there's harm in soliciting a child for sexual conduct, and sexual conduct has several different types of of acts that can be done. You wouldn't agree that soliciting a child for sexual intercourse, uh, for anal intercourse. And then coming back and soliciting that same child for oral sex doesn't represent two different harms. I mean, you're, you're, you're putting these different types of images and these different types of behaviors into a child's head. Why can't the state see each of those two things as separate solicitations? Because the statute defines it as a continuing offense. And in that sense, it's a unitary offense. And you don't have to agree on how the offense is committed. You have to agree that the offense was committed and the how is all of this sexual speech that's contained in the definition in Chapter 35. So you use all of this sexual speech. It's not about what happens. No act is committed. 
It's all of these sexual speech that is used as the element of persuading a child to actually show up at an event. That's what it's about. It's about persuading a child to have sex, whatever kind of sex that they've just designated in the chapter 35 definition, which is actually much broader than the sex that's in the chapter 14, where they punish actual sex acts. When you say continuous act, and you said that a few times, I mean, that implies that there's an end to that act at some point. Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned it was if the child is still responding back and forth, and it's continuing. Uh, at some point, if it, if it ends, and say there's a period of silence, a month, a year, and then they re-up again, start out over, would you agree that that's a new offense? Well, it can be. I mean, it's a quite a factual determination. This case is an easy case because it was one continuing conversation, even though it was text message with breaks, and it was one victim or purported victim, and it was for one event of sexual um, activity to take place on Friday at the hotel or whatever, where he eventually shows up. So um, in this case, it's easy that there wasn't. But um, in other cases, Based on the Blockburger um, test, the criminal impulse test, it's a factually specific test. But I don't agree that the, the, the six-factor test applies to these cases So, because it's not a distinct act. And, and in that case, then, because, of course, we're, when we write a decision in this case, ultimately, it's more than just resolving this case, but giving guidance for future, mm-hmm. future cases. So what should counsel, parties, the courts look to, if not the six-factor test identified by the Court of Appeals, to determine if this continuous course of conduct that you identify has ended and a new one has begun? Um, yeah, again, I'm, I'm going to have to refer back to the Blockburger test because that is the seminal test. Like if there's one drug deal that goes on for a while um, and then it's over, whether it happens or it's frustrated and there's a break, then and another do, drug deal starts up again, um, that's a separate uh, continuous offense separated by a break. And the break could be an intervening event, but that, that's kind of rare. It would be like the kidnapping, you know, freed or something by someone and then kidnapped again. Um, it's, they talk about the criminal impulse. So it, it's an intent issue. To, is there a new intent to start all over? Um, and it is a factually specific um, issue. You can look at it like in the old-fashioned days where you uh, go to solicit prostitution on the, down at the you know, barrio or the bad neighborhood or something like that. And you have one date that's negotiated for, whether it happens or not, and it's a solicitation. And then you come back the next day, and there's a new date that's negotiated for. That would be a separate solicitation. Um, and, you know, just because the, the the perpetrator, you know, rides around the block looking for undercover cops and comes back and says, okay, I guess it's okay, now let's go ahead, um, that would not change the fact that you're still in the same um, negotiation. I would like to um, now turn this over to Amicus Council for any further questions. Thank Council, you. Any questions? I'm sorry. Colleagues, any questions? Good afternoon, Your Honor. Dave Eichner for AACJ. Uh, welcome to Tucson. It's good to have back at the University of Arizona. The last time the, the court was here was three years ago before COVID. And during the Q&A that followed the second argument, the first question was uh, asked about oral argument and Vice Chief Justice Timmer answered, we see oral argument as a conversation, not a co- not conversations, not a series of like many questions. It's a conversation. Counsel, are you equating oral argument to a criminal act? <laughs> <laughs> if I'm doing it, it might be. <laughs> so, um, 
this is this is a solicitation. I mean, and and the state has uh, took issue. I, I, I would move off of that. Solicitation is not a criminal word per se. It, when you solicit a crime, it's a criminal word. And the state uh, took issue with uh, my brief of equating legal and illegal conduct. But offers can be legal or illegal. It depends on the target. Solicitations can be legal or illegal. Depends on what you're asking for. Here, it's a legal solicitation. The court is soliciting the attorneys. Uh, for information that will help the court decide the case. The goal in the case is for a correct decision, however it comes out. It's goal-oriented. doesn't matter how many questions the court asks us. We could stand, sit up here and make speeches for 40 minutes. So, so counsel, may I ask you why the state can't have the goal of deterring someone from sending multiple solicitations, even if it's for the same sexual conduct? Well, that presumes it's multiple solicitations. Uh, so that's the real question here is what is the unit of prosecution? So if they ask several times the same thing, it could still be the same solicitation. Now, to go to the question that you asked earlier about uh, what about doesn't this increase the harm? I first asked for anal sex. Now I'm asking for oral sex. It does increase the harm. And that's where the judge can say for this one count, I'm going to give you a harsher punishment than I otherwise would have. And we'll talk about probation in a little bit, but uh, I was going to give you probation, but now I'm going to give you 10 years in prison because the harm that you did here was far greater than just having a, I don't want to call it innocuous because it's not, uh, but a, a, a tamer chat with a police officer. You, if The fact that it was a real child versus a police officer, these are real world facts that the sentencing judge considers when determining the sentence. But that's not what we're concerned with right here today. We're talking about the unit of prosecution. So this is a single solicitation for please, 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 that the, every single one of those pleases uh, incorporates the question that came before. So under the state's argument, the state correctly said their argument requires that to be four separate solicitations. That defies common sense. What, for all of this, the canons of statutory construction that the state cited in its briefing throughout, it can't point to a single case that actually justifies this being multiple counts, except for Rios. And that's because Rios was wrongly decided. It came after this case was decided by the Court of Appeals. And it didn't even cite Moninger because presumably it couldn't have uh, uh, disproved the analysis. But what, for all of the state's other claims uh, that, th that they're relying on statutory construction, it really just amounts to ipsedixit. This is uh, separate counts because we say so. Prosecutorial discretion, but prosecutorial discretion has limits. It has limits by the Constitution. It has limits by legislative intent. When the legislature says this is one count, the prosecution doesn't have discretion to charge four counts, as this court said in Jordan. Uh, so if this court says this is one count, the prosecution can't go four counts. So this court's role is to determine what the legislature intended. And then based on that, we will know what the prosecutor's range of discretion allows. Does the aggravated marine statute inform us of what the legislature intended in the solicitation, the luring statute itself? Yes. Uh, and also, I cited a case uh, from 40 years ago that talked about the singular and the plural because the state in its briefing had talked about when it says singular and plural, the legislature means something. In addition to that, I, I neglected to cite ARS 1-214 which says the feminine means the masculine and it means the neuter. Also, the singular means the plural and the plural means the singular. 
So sometimes the legislature isn't as good at crafting things as it wants to be, and it, it has that statute to cover it. But the ag- aggravated wounding statute talks about how this is a crime of sending multiple images, one or more images, and the, and it could be when messages are sent before, after, or during. So this, if if Moniger had sent uh, five images along with a thousand texts, he could only be punished by one count of aggravated warring, but he, according to the state, could have a thousand counts of warring, which is the lesser included offense because to commit aggravated warring, you have to commit warring first. So that's an absurd interpretation as well. But, but counsel, to that point, though, those five different images, doesn't it matter when they're sent and if they can be associated with a particular solicitation? Yes, it matters. Uh, that's going to be fact intensive. And as Ms. Evans said, this case is the easy case, but you know, the court's going to have to decide uh, how to write it for the harder cases that come later. So, so um, before you were talking about um, how sentencing can allow a judge to increase the, the penalty for truly bad behavior. The converse is really not true because the judge has to uh, issue consecutive sentences. Um, uh, the judge can't say, wow, this really is one, one uh, transaction. If, if the state alleges 100, 100 solicitations and uh, the finding is made that there are 100 solicitations, there have to be 100 sentences of some sort. Does the fact that the legislature insisted on consecutive rather than concurrent sentences here, does that fit into the analysis at all? It does, uh, because when we're trying to figure out what the legislature intended here, uh, what the if, if, if we know that the legislature intended separate counts, and the state's argument presumes that, we know the legislature intended separate counts because that's what the statute says. The flaw in that is that's not what the statute says. The statute doesn't explain this is the unit of prosecution. So now when we're trying to figure out what the unit of prosecution is and we're trying to figure out what this statute means, we can look to what the, the sentencing range would be for, I mean, how often is there a single message that's sent that has all of the information and then no, there's never any follow-up. Also, the state responded to my brief talking about sentence manipulation. And the state is right when you're talking about drug offenses. However, that those are cases already, we know what the unit of prosecution is. Where the state goes awry again is it presumes we already know the fact that we're here to decide. So we're trying to figure out the unit of prosecution. When the, the, uh, an undercover police officer can keep the conversation going, ironically, the state then quotes that conversation where the police officer keeps it going. So, And the reason why he's doing that makes perfect sense from law enforcement perspective. You want to defeat the entrapment uh, defense that's coming later. You want to make sure you could stand up at trial and say, I gave Moniker every chance to get out of this, and he, he kept pursuing it. But if he hadn't done that, he's, he's now inflating the, the amount of time that this but is. But counsel, going. isn't that dependent, though, on Moniker's willingness to continue as well? I, I get the entrapment part of it. I, I, I agree with that point. But the fact that Moniker also continues and engages in solicitation, that's up to him. Once he had his date set, he could have stopped. Not that he wouldn't have followed through with it, but he didn't have to keep going either. Right. But, and that, but that doesn't make it a separate offense just because the conversation kept going. 
it's it's almost like when we have a conversation and then we uh, somebody else needs the room and we we continue the conversation outside, but we pause for a few seconds. Still one conversation. We just paused for a few seconds. Uh, I am running a little low on time. I do want to talk about the sentencing issue. Uh, the state's argument that it's presenting at, uh, today is the same as in its brief, which requires the court to completely ignore new section E. It used to be section G. The statute keeps getting moved around all the time. But the one that says that luring, uh, any dangerous crime against children involving luring, if sentenced to prison, is 5 to 15 years. So it doesn't say second-degree luring. It says any offense for luring. So the state wants you to rewrite the, the statute. Well, That's something we can't do. attempted luring? Attempted, like attempted a, like solicitation. We, it starts getting a little bit well, um, Why, why couldn't I address that? Because the Granville case did. So it was attempted luring. Right. Uh, and that's those were the facts of that case, because that could it could not be the completed offense. But it could be that. My but point it says is, can't it, the old E, the current G, be applying to attempted blame so as to not make the language you've identified superfluous? It can be applied to that, but it must be applied to all warring offenses. Otherwise, you're putting words in statute that don't exist. You're rewriting the law. That's the well, counsel when, when the legislature rewrote from E to G, because before E said that, you know, you will be sentenced to the presumptive term unless a lesser aggravated sentence is imposed. When the, the legislature made the change from E to G, uh, the, the legislative summary for it simply stated that they were explaining the minimum and maximum terms of imprisonment. They removed the stipulation. The if portion is different now. The stipulation that uh, throughout the DCAC statutes that a person who's convicted be at least 18 years of age or have been tried as an adult. And after that, it just as makes technical and conforming changes. Don't you think if the legislature was changing from mandatory prison to probation eligible, that would have been noted? Um, I didn't look at the fact sheet. I looked at the plain language of the statute that says if sentenced to imprisonment and which all the other sections that, that are mandatory prison don't say if sentenced to prison. They say it is punishable and is only, you can only be released if it's clemency or the parole statute, not the parole, but the, the uh, early release statutes. Uh, but there is the language of if sentenced to imprisonment. Is um, probation available language? No, it, it, it doesn't say that in E. It says if the person is at least 18 years of age or has been tried as an adult um, and is sentenced to a term of imprisonment. And previously, the statute said that there was a presumptive term. I can't find anything that suggests that the legislature intentionally uh, made a change from mandatory sentencing to probation eligibility. You just you just read it. It said if the person is convicted of this crime and is sentenced to imprisonment. I didn't no, say if convicted. There's no if in there. If a person is at least 18 years of age. Right. Yeah. If if their age is that. No, it, but it doesn't. It, it applies to the whole state statement. There's no comma separating any of that. It's if a person is at least 18 years of age or has been tried as an adult and is convicted of a dangerous crime against children involving warrants. So that if applies to both. Mm. Otherwise, yeah, the, the legislature thought that if was removing the stipulation throughout the DCAC statutes that a person who is convicted of a DCAC be at least 18 years of age or have been tried as an adult. Justice Scalia has told us that the best way, the best indicator of a, legislative's intent, a legislature's intent is the plain language of the statute. This language means nothing but its probation available. I think we've probably addressed this sufficiently. Thank you, Mr. Thank you. Thank you. Just Two points on rebuttal. Uh, 
The first goes to uh, Justice Timmer's question about where's the break between solicitations. Positive that it's when the elements of the offense have been met. That's the language from Blockburger. The, the test in Blockburger is once the sale is consummated, no matter how close in time the second sale occurs, it is a separate offense. So once the elements of the offense are met, that's that's your unit of prosecution right there. Once the person solicited. Well, doesn't that beg the question? I mean, Blackburger said the test, if, if, that's true if the individual acts are prohibited, but if it's a course of conduct which is prohibited, then... Which brings me to my second point on rebuttal, which is the legislature knows how to define offense as a continuous offense or a course of conduct offense. I cited a couple in my supplemental brief, including the stocking statute, where they specifically use the phrase course of conduct or the offense of continuous sexual abuse of a child. The legislature knows how to do that. I've also cited in, in my brief the, the warning from the United States Supreme Court about not um, too broadly interpreting a statute to make it a continuous offense because it has other effects, including um, messing up statute of limitations issues. Uh, so the, the Supreme Court has, has advised the courts not to read into a statute a continuous offense when it's not clear. So legislative silence on that point moves in favor of a single act unit of prosecution. And then, since I have a little bit of time, back to the probation issue. What Amicus or Art ignores is that first clause of subsection E, now G or whatever it is. Um, it's subject to other provisions in the section. So. Subsection E, even if it could be read to allow probation, has to be subject to the more specific provisions in subsection H, requiring prison terms for first-degree offenses. That's the only logical reading there if this court finds that the two are actually in contrast. Um, and with that, unless the court has other questions, we ask that you reverse the Court of Appeals. Thank you. Thank you, Counsel. Council, thank you for the arguments today, as uh, well as the supplemental briefing in this matter. That takes now an issue, an annual issue in due course. Thanks for joining us today on Guilty as Charged. Please subscribe to our podcast to get more great discussion about law and crimes specific to Arizona, and also get access to Arizona Supreme Court audio. You can find Jake on Twitter at Jacob Brown AZ. 